1: Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host Jim R. Today's episode one seventy eight, and we're going to be interviewing Foster. How you doing, Foster? I'm doing well, thanks. Today, Jim, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good. So let's get into this. Let's start the party, like I usually say, and tell me about (laughs) your childhood, my friend. Uh, well, let's see. I um, I was
0: actually I was born in 1981. I was born in Dayton, Ohio. Um and my biological mother uh is Native American and my biological father is African American. Um I know that she was young, like around maybe a potentially a senior in high school or something. Oh wow um, and um so she planned to give me up for adoption. Um and I spent um I don't know couple months in an adopt in an adoption home uh, then elderly woman who took good care of me wait someone uh, adopted you or were you in a foster home? I knew, No, I was just in I was just in the adoption home it was the foster home I guess okay uh, with the with the adoptive uh, or the foster mom until I got adopted um, yeah, and okay, I was adopted I yeah I was adopted but two loving parents, um, I mean, great parents um, from Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, that's where I grew up and, you know, spent my childhood um, and I guess middle <laughs> childhood, Let- adolescence
1: and young adulthood. So, Let me ask you this. How did you know what your parents were as far as their background? Did you ever meet them? No, I've never met my
0: biological parents. Um, my This was all just kind of general public information um, shared with my biological parents. I'm sorry, my adoptive parents um, from the adoption agency, uh, the private adoption agency that handled and processed my adoption. Understood. So, yeah, but I, I mean, I, I mean, I have lived a life that for some dreams were made of, you know, I, I have, my parents, um, I mean they—they've done everything for me. You know, I, I couldn't have asked or even dreamed of a better, you know, child uh, growing up. You know, and family experience—it's
1: um, absolutely amazing.
0: My parents are both very, very remarkable people.
1: That's great. Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, like John um, Lennon said, all you need is love. You got love in the house. Uh, you- all right, yeah. I agree. I agreed
0: wholeheartedly. Um, but yeah, like my um my parents are both very very successful. Uh, my mother um was an early childhood educator. Uh, she taught t- uh, kindergarten for twenty plus years. Um, and caught and taught uh like second grade and first grade, and then she finished her career. Um, she went back to school and got a master's in library information science and finished her uh, career um, being a librarian in a school. Uh, she worked in, I, like I said, in Columbia. We have um, the largest um, Army training base here, Fort Jackson. And my mother taught her entire career out of Fort Jackson. Um, just really cool. Um, great experience out there. Um, my father's a very, very successful attorney. Um, he. Um, yeah, he, uh, he's been practicing. He's still practicing now, and my dad's 73 years old. Wow, God um, bless him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves his job, loves it. Um, he was also a local politician. Uh, he was um, one of the first African Americans elected to city council here in uh, Columbia, South Carolina.
1: Wow, that's um, great.
0: What kind of law did you practice? I mean he's practiced it all. Um right now he primarily does uh like personal injury, um, some product liability, medical malpractice, uh, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. yeah. So he's really good. He actually my dad's like a trailblazer. Um, is I always feel like I'm always trying to live up to such a, the high bar that he set. Um, He was the first African-American elected president of ABOTA, which is the American Board of Trial Advocates, Um, and that's a national legal organization, Um, and they've done some pretty good things, um, you know, as far as in progressing, promoting, um, and, you know, really kind of instilling, you know, the values of you know, really successful trial advocates in the country. So, high, big honor for him. Um, and he, he's a he's a great, great attorney, great man. Very much so. Yeah. That's good. Um, That's to yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Like I said, I've lived the life where some dreams have been made of. So, man. it's cool. It's cool.
1: What was your social life like when you were really young?
0: Uh let's see. Really young I don't know it was interesting, like my parents both both being very, very you know academic and intellectual individuals, um I was always i mean people used to always joke, and my mom jokes about it still, you know, I was like in a little adult like a toddler's body. I would go um we lived um in an old uh, historic neighborhood in Columbia. And uh, our neighbors across the street from us um, were both uh, uh, PhD professors at the University of South Carolina, and um, they were also big gardeners. Like they, they, their house, they owned their house right across the street from us, and to the right of their house, they bought the plot of land there. And they had planted, like, this huge garden, you know, with trees and all types of, you know, vegetables and flowers. And I would spend my time, like, as a little kid, like, you know, around between, like, 5 and 10. I would spend my afternoons, you know, after all my homework and everything was done, I'd spend the day over hanging out. His name was Dr. Mandel. Unfortunately, he's passed away, but... Um, Dr. Mandel and I would spend the day over there walking through the gardens, looking at plants, you know, checking on the trees and we talk about like life, you know, like philosophy and stuff yeah. and what I, you know, what I thought was next, you know, what my goals were, you know, what I wanted to do when I grow up, you know, the, the, you know, the common question you always ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up kind yeah. of thing. Um, but if, we, you're,
1: if you ask it in a certain way, it, that could be a deep question.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I agree. Um, and of course, you know, like during childhood, you know, I, I mean, I went from wanting to be a firefighter <laughs> to a police <laughs> officer. I mean, of course, I wanted to be a lawyer for a little while. Um then I was a veterinarian because we have always had dogs as a part of our life, um, and we still have dogs now. Um, so, you know, that for a little while. Um, there was a dog walker for a little while. So I've been all over the spectrum with what Foster wanted to be when he grew up. Grew up. So yeah. that's changed for sure. Well, change it's
1: good that you've actually done it. Yeah, I have. Better I have. than you telling me, you know what, I wish I did. Right. One, two, three, you know. Right, right, yeah. But at yeah. least you've done it.
0: I have, I have. And, you know, I, that's, that's one of the biggest things um, that I can say about foster and my life now, is that I'm finally living the life that I think was designed for me. And I'm following, be, living the life that I'm always supposed to live. You know, I have everything in my life that I need. I have everything. I can't say I have everything that I want in life. I don't think anybody ever does. But I have most everything that I want in my life now. And it's, it's just amazing now. You know, and it, and don't get me wrong. It's been a struggle it's been a battle I mean it's been a war zone sometimes yeah. you know active shooter war zone to get to where I am now but I you know I'm here and I'm here and I feel good about it and um I'm happy yeah I am happy with my life um, I'm happy with you know the relationships that I have um I'm happy with uh, the work that I do um you know I'm just I feel complete now, and I haven't felt that for such a long part of my life many 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 i mean I'd probably say the majority of my life, I haven't felt complete i' I' felt you know in the wrong place at the wrong time. I felt misunderstood um I felt unloved, unaccepted i I felt alone and isolated, and um I don't feel that way anymore. You know, so it's it's still it's a relatively new feeling, I guess. Um, but you know, it's it's
1: a good feeling. It's a good feeling. I'm happy with the feelings I'm having now. That's good. And you were going you know, talk uh just a moment ago. You were saying about having everything you want. I was talking to a buddy at work, and he was talking about how on Saturday night, you know, I asked him, "What are you doing tonight?" He's like, "Oh, I'm going out." Hard, you're gonna do this, gonna get girls. And I was like, You know what I'm gonna do? I'm like, I'm going home, I'm eating a sandwich, I'm gonna be in bed by nine thirty, and I'm falling <laughs> asleep by ten or ten yes. thirty. And he says to me, he goes, and you're happy with that. And I'm like, I actually am. Because right, I right. wish I could he goes, I don't go to bed happy. He goes, I wish I could do that. Hmm. And I was like, But well, you can. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. for him, it's not that's not he uh, I think he's addicted to that lifestyle.
0: Right, 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 right. And that lifestyle, I mean, I mean that 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 lifestyle, like the lifestyle, like it, it is addictive, you know? Yeah, like and, it and yeah, it, it can be, it can be. It definitely was for me. You know, I um I you know, I've been I've been up and down the east coast, you know, with my life. Uh you know me physically living places, and no matter where I've gone, I've always been there and you know a lot of times I spent in life trying to get away from myself, you know because for a long long time in my life i I didn't like myself you know i didn't I definitely didn't like myself, I definitely didn't love myself. And I didn't accept myself, you know, and that's a process, you know, like getting to the point of where I am now, you know, it's a process. It's taken work, you know, it's taken time. It's talking, taken thought. Um, It's taken commitment and diligence. Um, So, you know, it's, 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 I don't know, life is a process, you know, life is a journey. And it's been said before, but it, it I I know it's true for myself that you know my life's been a journey and I don't know what's next you know like yeah. I yeah I've got plans and I've got like steps I'm taking to get different places but like I really don't know what's next you know and the ultimate reality of it is you know tomorrow's not promised for anybody
1: like I don't
0: I I, I there is no guarantee that Foster V is gonna be here tomorrow so my goal every day is. To make the most of the day, live, the, live you know, to the full extent of that day, take advantage of any and every opportunity that's there for me. And, you know, my goal at the end, my, at the end of the day, I have, I'm big on routines. And at the end of the day, I always, you know, take a quick little reflection slash inventory on my day. And see things that I did well, you know, uh, assess what my, my, you know, the challenges were um, of the day. Um, and I'm always grateful for the day. Even when bad shit happens, I'm still grateful for what happened, experiences that I have in the day. And when I start in the morning, and my morning starts the same every morning, you know i always wake up and i have my little morning like hygiene routine where i like brush my teeth like shower wash my face shave most of the days but at the end of it all i look in the mirror and i always my goal for the day is foster be a better foster today than you were yesterday yeah and that just that keeps my day oriented you know, on the right path, on a good path. And um, it keeps my day open. It keeps my day flexible and it keeps my day, you know, like, connected and invigorating and ultimately
1: fun, exciting, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So when did drug abuse first take hold for you? Well,
0: let's see. I first... Um, started my first <laughs> use of any substances. Um, was I don't know, maybe somewhere between 13 and 15. Um, and the first, excuse me, substance I ever had was Boone's Farm, Strawberry Hill. And I feel like a lot of people start on Boone's (laughs) Farm Strawberry Hill. At least they did back in the day. What is that,
1: liquor?
0: No, no, no. It's uh, like a fruity wine, you know. Fruity wine. Fruity
1: wine, yes. That's what it is. I remember Um, I I tried to find white Zinfandel.
0: White Zinfandel, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I wasn't really a big wine person. Me, yeah. Yeah, I didn't really like wine. Um, but yeah, that was my first introduction to any substance. Um, but around the age of 15 or 16, um, I started using heroin. Um, and I was an IV heroin user for about four, four and a half years.
1: Well, um Let's go back a moment. Who
0: introduced you to it? Um... I met some people online and um, went over to hang out with them. And uh, so was you, the-
1: you never met them before? You meet them online and then you went to their house? Yeah. yeah Crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know.
0: I know. Um, but, yeah, I met some people online and um, I went over to um, their house. And, like, there were, you know, I don't know, maybe four or five people there. And, you know, we're hanging out and there was like a den and then two bedrooms and a bathroom. And I don't know about every like 20, 25 minutes, like they would all, they would leave or leave in pairs from the, the little den area and go back into one of the bedrooms. And, you know, they'd be back for a little while and then they'd come back out. And like, I was like, hmm, yeah, I just was just kind of hanging out there, hanging out around and everything. And then finally I was like, all right, I know something's going on back there. I'm going to figure out what the hell is going on in this back room. And um and I went back in there and you know they had syringes and spoons and I I I'd never seen heroin or anything really before. Um and um, you know, they I was like, well, you know, hell I'm down. <laughs> Let's try it out, you know. Um, I'm also a type one insulin dependent type one diabetic. Um I was diagnosed when I was twelve years old. So I always had, uh, Foster's little pack. I, had, I always carried backpacks, fanny packs, like little go bags with me. And those have followed me throughout my entire life. I still have one now <laughs> that I carry with me. Uh, but that the purpose of that bag has changed many times <laughs> over the year, at least the contents in the back have. Um, but anyhow, you know, I had my little go pack, uh, Foster pack and, you know, I had, Clean syringes in them, and um, so you know, I went back there, and yeah, they showed me how to do, you know, prepare the heroin in the spoon and the water and little Q-tips, and I was like, "Well, let's do it," and I did it. And um, this was on a Friday, so I injected heroin on Friday. Uh, went back over there on Saturday evening, did the same thing, and then again on Sunday. Um and by Monday,
1: you know, I was hooked. <laughs> like, was your, when your first time doing it, what did it feel like? Wow, I've, I've I've been
0: asked this question before, and if you can imagine and remember the first time you ever had an orgasm, like that feeling raised exponentially. Wow, like that's that's how I describe it. Like that, it's it. I mean, it's the best feeling in the world. And there there was nothing I had experienced, you know, by that age that felt any better than that. I. I mean, totally consuming, you know, mind-rocking, like earth shattering, like, that's what it was, you know? So, mm. yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> that's how it was. That's I mean, how
1: it you was. Think- I Making you think, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how was your social life like in school and stuff like that? Um
0: I was I was pretty social. Um I went to uh two different high schools. Um but I went to a private school for middle middle school, um, a school called Heathwood Hall. It's an episcopal school. And um and I left Heathwood Hall after eighth grade and started um public school here in Columbia. Uh I was at Dr. High School for my first three years and then transferred my summer before my senior year to AC Clara High School, which is where I actually graduated. Why wow, uh, were you transferred? I mean I just wanted something new. I was. So bored. That was your choice. Yeah, it was my choice. Yeah, it was definitely my choice. Um, I mean, it you know, my it shocked the hell out of my mom because my mom was like, "What are you thinking? <laughs> you know, what are you doing?" It's like, "What happened? What happened?" Yeah. And I was like, "No, nothing happened at all. Like, I just want something new. I'm I'm tired of this. You know, I'm tired of a dream. I'm ready to go on and do something different. Find it, have a new experience. It was so. I was so like
1: determined." you're braver than me Uh because you're braver than me because when i was a junior i moved in with my mom my parents were divorced and i had enough Uh of my dad so i moved in with my mom she doesn't live in the district where i go to school Mm -hmm. so the school they wanted me gone because i was such a troublemaker so they were (laughs) they were like thank you later (laughs) exactly peace And (laughs) I wanted to stay because I didn't Uh, want to start over my whole life. You know what I mean? Right. I was scared. Right. I understand. Looking back, I had so many friends in that town. I should have transferred.
0: would I went right to
1: that school, had a ton of friends within the first friggin' couple of months. Right. You know, my girlfriend was from that high school that I met. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, you're brave yeah well i mean
0: i i was like i was just sharing with you like i was so determined <laughs> to transfer schools uh that i told my mom i was like listen if you don't make this happen and allow me to transfer schools i'm dropping out of high school i will not <laughs> graduate i'm done <laughs> so and of course like my parents you know my mom you know my dad went along with it and my mom's like okay well we'll get the process started and it it started um and i Transferred to AC Florida. But the thing about like AC Florida, Dreer, and even Heathwood, like they were all like my Dreer and AC Florida were the two big rivals in my school district, uh, which is District 1, Richland County School District 1. So they were the two big rivals there. Um, they were close to each other as well. So you know, even, like, at parties, and I was a big, big, I mean, I don't even know if social butterfly is, like, the right word. I, I don't even think social butterfly does me justice <laughs> with okay. who, how I was. Um, but anyhow, but, like, the even, like, at parties and stuff, you know, kids from both Heathwood would be at the parties. Uh, kids from Jury would be the parties. The kids from AC Flora and uh one of my best friends um went to this school out in northeast columbia completely different school district um and his name's steve um and anyhow steve and i like were big big good friends um and uh so i would like i mean i had networks out in northeast with all those kids so like i i threw a party every year a huge party like it started off maybe like around, I don't know, 60 people, 60 to 75 people my first year, uh, summer of or spring of my freshman year of high school. And I threw this party every year of high school. Um, and like by the my senior year of high school, I mean, there were a couple hundred people there at the party, okay, you know, like okay. so it was huge, big thing. I was a big partier, obviously. That's kind of where it started. Um, but yeah, so... But, you know, like I said, like, I was networked with a bunch of different schools. Um, and I also, like, I, I was really involved, you know, in the community. Like, I I had my first job, ever job and still probably one of my favorite jobs, best jobs, was working as a lifeguard. Um, I was a competitive swimmer growing up. Um, and I just, aquatics was my love. You know, I swam and loved it. And that was one of those chosen professions in that area, like later on in life, where I thought I was going to be an aquatics professional for the rest of my life. Um, But anyhow, I lifeguarded at at a pool uh, for two summers. And then I was actually the youngest uh, pool manager in the city's history Uh um, of the largest, at that time, the largest uh, municipal aquatic facility. Um so it was a great experience and um by that time I had r- racked up a bunch of different certifications um through the American Red Cross. Um I was a lifeguard certified as a lifeguard, certified in CPR first aid. Um I was also certified as a lifeguard instructor, um and then a water safety instructor. And then I went on to get my instructor trainers in both lifeguard training, lifeguard and uh, water safety. So I would teach people how to teach people to be okay. lifeguards in water and safety instructors. So it was really cool. I loved it. You were the um, teacher for the teachers. I was the teacher for the teachers. Yeah. So it was it a was great experience. I mean, loved it. Um, still love it. Um, every now and then I still get in the pool. I don't swim as much as I used to nearly, um, but I still love the water. The water is really, really therapeutic, relaxing, really calming for me, you know? So I really enjoy the water a lot. Um, but yeah, so excuse me,
1: but yeah, (laughs) I wonder if they have swim therapy for addicts. They probably do. I wouldn't, I, that's interesting. I, you, you,
0: I've never heard of it before, but I mean, I, I would imagine that, I mean, they have therapy for all other types of therapy, you know, for addicts and other yeah. people
1: and stuff. So
0: I, I would wonder, that's interesting.
1: And if they don't, and listening, that's a therapist or something. Think about it. <laughs> right, right, right. For sure. Right? <laughs> right. Listen anyone that's in the healthcare professional field, right. You know, mental health care.
0: Yeah. That's a good. That'd be a good avenue to explore. I agree. I agree. Yeah.
1: So how? So what was your main drug of choice? Uh, it depends on what time you're asking me. Okay, <laughs> like, so that that's, it depends that's on point. it. Depends on what time of
0: life we're referring
1: to So, heroin was what uh, the first or second drug you ever used um the first yeah
0: well i i guess alcohol was the first um you went right to heroin and then i went to heroin yeah and then marijuana was in there incorporated and in around that time period too um because like early you know like i don't know i think it was the summer before eighth grade um I can't remember where. Oh, yeah, it was. I do remember. Somewhere before eighth grade, uh, me and my best friend, uh, Koisy, uh, we took a train from Columbia to Montreal, Canada, um, to visit some of his family up there. And uh, he had this older cousin. She was probably in her, I don't know, early 20s, mid-20s at the time. Um, and, like, we smoked a joint. <laughs> there, in uh, we were visiting her and um at her co- at her condo apartment uh, in Montreal and we smoked a uh, joint marijuana um uh, and so I guess marijuana was the first really um and anyhow it, it was just an amazing like kind of psycho like trippy like <laughs> completely like psychoactive experience for me I mean it was just amazing. Um, But like, but I can tell you now looking, you know, in hindsight, looking back, you know, like that was when the, I think the, this flip or the floodgates, you know, got cracked and opened with my my, me, my, me becoming an, an addict and my development and disease progression with being a drug addict. Um, Why do you think
1: it happened then? Hmm.
0: I mean, just because it rocked my brain. I mean, it was like, it was the, uh, I mean, there's the feelings that I had, you know, like the, the lights, the sights, the sounds, you know, the, 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 The feeling, physical feelings I was getting was just, I mean, I I loved it. Like, I knew, I know, I mean, it didn't happen immediately. You know, it was, you know, a little bit, few minutes or maybe 30, 45 minutes within smoking in the joint. But when the feelings finally, like, hit me and, like, just overwhelmed me completely, I loved it. Like, that's all I wanted. You know, I just, if I could capture that feeling and hold it in a little bottle and that could be where i felt and where i lived and experienced for the rest of my life that would have been okay like that's all i would have done you just want to yeah. numb yourself from everything oh yeah, yeah yeah, i did most definitely you know and i had like i mean i had stuff like from my childhood like that i you know, I definitely wanted to know myself from. Like I unfortunately I was abused at a summer camp um when I was younger, sexually abused. And um uh, mm, about eight years old. Eight or nine. Yeah. Um and um. Uh,
1: I don't know. Like I I Was it another was it another um camper or was it a counselor? Counselor, it was a counselor. Yeah, someone older than me. Um,
0: and I don't know. I just, I, um, yeah. I just, I, I, you know, I, I didn't want to feel that. You know, I didn't want to like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to think about that. I didn't want to have those like really, really painful and, like, just uncomfortable and just scary, overwhelmingly scary, you know, like, fear-consumed feelings. Um, So, I don't know. I stopped it for a long time. Like, I mean, I'm 41 years old now, and the first time that I ever talked about it, uh, I've been in and out of Uh, mental health counseling uh, with psychotherapists and um, psychiatrists pretty much my entire life since that time. Um, And um, I've got a list, (laughs) like a a textbooks of diagnoses that have been applied to me or put on me or given to me, um, you know, with relations to, you know, mental health and, you know, disorders and stuff. But um 31 years i was 31 years old so just about 10 years ago um 10 11 years ago um was the first time that i ever opened up and talked about it with a therapist and told anyone else i mean for that entire time of my life that was stuffed like no one knew about it no one did like and you know so it it was uh I mean, I'd like to say it was an immediate relief, but it, I I can't I, I I don't think that would be a hundred percent you know truthful and honest with saying that it was an immediate like relief and release, but it was like the first you know like brick in the wall to uh, crack a little bit you know in my in my just history of like. Just
1: stopping that trauma. So, yeah, something to stuff down and deal with by yourself. That must have been. That's. I mean, that is incredibly, incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I've never been through that, but I can only imagine the feeling. Yeah, yeah, It it was tough, you know.
0: And then then again, too, you know, for someone that young, you know, like, like I, I, like I said, I started, you know, counseling and psychiatrists. Like, I mean, like. I was on Prozac, like when Prozac first came out, <laughs> like the year Prozac was developed and released, I was put on Prozac, you know? So, I mean, I you know, like, I, I and, I, and that's just a start, you know? I've been, I can't even count the number of medications I've been on for different reasons to treat different symptoms that I've experienced and ex- you know, expressed over my life. Um, but, you know, like, I, I, like I I don't think I not not I don't think I I know at the age when this happened and when I first engaged in psychiatric and psychological services I did not have the mental emotional or like psychological maturity to be able to communicate this to anyone else. Like I that I like it was my secret, you know, and like I, it I had to protect my secret at all costs. Like it wasn't, like I I I mean I, I didn't know how to talk about it, like so I didn't talk about it. Yeah. So, and I and in late a lot of my youth, you know, sometimes conscious, um, I think a lot of times kind of subconscious or unconscious like a lot of my substance uh, use and abuse was to numb myself to the feelings, you know, that i experienced, you know, the, the inner turmoil, like the, like the, the fear, the depression, you know, like it just, like, and when I got high, none of that was there, you know, it was always gone. I was in a comfortable place then and, I mean, that's ultimately, like, where I always wanted to be, in a comfortable place. Um,
1: Talking so. about drugs, real quick, I forget if we spoke about this. How old were you the first time you ever used anything? Uh, I'd say, I don't know, somewhere between 13 and 15. Yes, somewhere you did mention 30. that before. Okay. Yeah. Yes, you did mention that before. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Young yeah. age, especially be doing that stuff. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Very young. Very young. Um,
0: but yeah, you know, it just and it's it's just progressed from there. Um after I um injected heroin um like for those years, I um went away to treatment um and I spent a summer um at treatment um at a place called Willingway Hospital down in Statesboro Georgia um and that was my first introduction to recovery um and i i don't know like i was there uh for 3 months like summer all summer long and um when i got out of treatment there that summer You know, their recommendation was to go into the long-term recovery men's halfway house recovery house there associated with the program. Um, And, of course, at that time, I was like, nope, not doing that. I'm going back to college, and I got this shit. You know, like, I'm not an addict. You know, like, I got it. But, so, anyways, I went back to school, and I was at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, um and I actually managed to stay clean from any drugs or alcohol. Um, maybe a little marijuana here and there, but no hard drugs or anything for about eleven, eleven and a half months. Um and after that I was like, Well, you know, they had me wrong. <laughs> I'm not an addict, you know, like anybody who injects heroin is going to be addicted, you know. So it wasn't the heroin that's the problem. I mean, it wasn't me that was the problem. It was the heroin that was the problem. So I switched from uh, ib uh, heroin to ib cocaine, <laughs> and um, and then I was like, "Whoa, this is my new shit!" <laughs> you know, like this is where I need to be. I love this feeling. Uh, this is great. And I mean, I did ungodly amounts of cocaine. Like ungodly,
1: um, like, and in, I injected all of it, you know, and um, but how much it, would you, how much would you do like, in a day I mean it's i mean you know
0: my degree, my disease progressed, I mean it would start off with maybe you know I don't know two grams, maybe. to do to an eight ball or something i mean then i mean i was with after you know couple months of you know couple grams a day you know i I only went up i was like quarter ounce a day you know like i mean it just a lot (laughs) a lot um and i don't know it just it was it was a lot going on during that time um how and I, how are you affording
1: that?
0: Yeah. Hey, you said a quarter ounce a day. Uh, well, this was back when cocaine was a lot cheaper. Than okay. Now, like, you, I like I I would not be able to afford a quarter ounce a day with the prices of cocaine these days. What would you pay? So what would heard, you pay
1: for a quarter? Just out of curiosity. Um, uh, I mean, I was
0: paying. I was paying between fifty to. Tuss- at max eighty dollars a gram back okay. in the day. Um
1: so you know how much is it nowadays? I haven't obviously one tried to purchase any. I, cocaine's up to like a gram is like hundred and
0: twenty dollars.
1: No shit.
0: Yeah, it's like a, a gram of Coke's like hundred and twenty these days. So I mean in eight balls are getting running at like three to four hundred, like anywhere between three and four hundred, depending on who you're getting it from. Wow. Um so, I mean, yeah, prices, I mean, I guess inflation hits the drug scene, too. These yeah. Days. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, back in the days, you know, I was getting ounces of cocaine for between 450 and at most $700 wow. for an ounce. You know, like, and, in, in, you know, we were picking up multiple ounces at a time for a while there. We were not only doing that, all we were selling some of it too. Um, which opened up a whole nother <laughs> avenue of drug experience, you know. Um, so yeah, so that that is a part of my story as well. There, um, so but I shot cocaine for I don't know off and on for maybe three or four years. Um okay. and the only way I could get off the needle was to pick up the pipe. And I started smoking crack. And I smoked crack for the next
1: I don't know I don't know ten, twelve, thirteen years. Isn't maybe? it amazing how our brain says, oh I'm gonna stop doing this and I'll do that instead because it's not as bad. I mean, right. right and it's like well, come on give me a break we we know right. it's just as bad All right, we, we just bullshit ourselves
0: of course of course and that's exactly what it was during that
1: time for me
0: on you know like i i have been my biggest asset as well as being my biggest liability at the same time like it's you know, there's two sides to every coin, coin, and it only depends on what side of the coin you're looking at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of my time of my life, especially in my active youth life, you know, looking at the, the liability side of my life. Uh, so my experience, you know, so, you know, it's, um, I don't know, like, you know, like life is a journey. Recovery is definitely a journey as well. And I, in hindsight, you know, I wish to look back and wish that I could have been one of those white chip or white key tag wonders, but I most definitely was not. You know, the white, chip? Uh, the white chip is um, like the, the, in Narcotics Anonymous programs, they give out chips to denote the time that you've been clean and in recovery and involved with that program. And the white chip um, is in Narcotics Anonymous, and the white key tag is in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, And it's, you know, white's the universal sign of surrender. So whenever you pick up in those two fellowships, um, whenever you pick up a white key tag in Alcoholics Anonymous or a white chip, um i'm sorry i got it backed up
1: sorry yeah i was about to say white, i know yeah
0: my bad white tip <clears throat> white tip and alcoholics and on this or white key tag and narcotics anonymous. there we go um uh, it's just like the universal sign of surrender it's like you know i'm starting here today it's my first day and you know i'm gonna start this recovery journey and path you know that you guys have laid out for me uh, that you guys have proven his work, you know, based on, you know, the the steps and the the program, you know, as outlined in the big book, um, either Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book or the um the narcotics anonymous uh, blue book. So um I've been in I mean I my first experience was with Alcoholics Anonymous. Um I've had uh, a few sponsors, um, probably about four or five maybe sponsors in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've completed the steps, um, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, I don't know, maybe four or five times. Um, I have not ever had a sponsor in Narcotics Anonymous, nor have I ever done those steps um but I mean, I've even sponsored people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so i I've, I know the program. I've had experience in, with experience with them. I mean, thorough, deep experience with them, and they have definitely helped me. You know, the, those programs are they, there. are fundamentals and uh, principles, and you know, spiritual principles. Um, associated with each of the programs um, and I do incorporate some of those, you know, into my life now as a person in long-term recovery. Um, but I am a firm believer in multiple pathways to recovery. Like, I don't think there's one only way to do it. Like you only get cleaner or sober by doing it this way. Like I think, Having that idea and having and like, you know, perpetuating and reinforcing that idea, like it 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 does such a disservice. I mean, be. everyone's recovery is different. Exactly. 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 I agree wholeheartedly. It totally is. Um, I think they're, you know, in the whole, you know, recovery kind of treatment field and environment now. That needs to be one of, if not the most fundamental, like principle and accepting accepted criteria for people um, to promote individuals, you know, finding their own ways, you know, finding their, finding their path to recovery and supporting them and encouraging them and empowering, empowering them on that journey. Um, you know, I I, I just I, I, I that is my there, um, and I've been I have a the privilege now of working um in the field, um, and I'm a certified peer support specialist, um, working with a company called U Turn Health, and um, my company U Turn Health is we're like the pioneers of telehealth behavioral uh, services, um, to people all across the country. And um, we that is one of our beliefs there, you know, that, you know, we believe there are multiple pathways to recovery. And our our mission as a company is to provide the most caring, supportive, you know, empathetic, connected and supportive and empowering you know, services to any of the clients that we serve across the country, even in the world, really, because we've got some clients that we serve overseas. Um, So, You're you know, really that passionate about your work. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's crazy because I always, not crazy, but it's funny because I always share uh, with my clients, uh, people that I work with that, you're helping me more than I'm ever gonna be able to help you, and like that just like blows your mind sometimes. you know, sometimes I'm talking to people who are like in some serious crisis. You know, like they they're like about to use or they just use or like you know, life is. I mean, this they're, they're everything spiraling and spinning oh, yeah. down the toilet for them, out of control. But, you know, to them, I share that with them. What? And I'm like, no, seriously, like, you don't understand, though, is that because you're helping me because you're giving me the opportunity to share with you hope and to share with you that I am an example of how your life will be provided you commit yourself and prioritize your recovery as number 1 above any and everything else and that's what i have to do on a daily basis you know like i i put my recovery first you know my recovery is number 1 every day you know and that's how i i continue to be in recovery and be on this you know recovery journey that I'm on is by prioritizing my recovery protecting my recovery and excuse me taking the action necessary to remain in recovery and and that's what that's what I share with everyone that I work with you know and that's what everyone who works with my company does you know and we serve uh, both individuals and family members um, of people suffering with any uh, addiction or behavioral related issues. Um, it's an amazing company. Uh, we serve. We do. Um, you know, addiction. Uh, we do help uh, with like uh, like stress, anxiety. Um, we also do grief coaching um, for people who have suffered some type of uh you know grief grief inspiring experience in their lives or lost primarily. Um so yeah like it's it's really cool to be able to give back um and and help others, you know? Like that that is my passion. Like being able to give back what was given to me. I feel like that is my responsibility and my mandate. I also think that it's the responsibility of anyone else who is in recovery, no matter how long they've been in recovery, is to give back what's been given to them. Like I think that's how recovery works. You know, like recovery, like, connects people in recovery. You know, it connects us to ourselves. It connects us to other people in recovery. And ultimately, it opens the door and paves the path for a connection with everybody else in the
1: world. Well, that's exactly what they figured out in 1935. One yeah. addict talking to another, or I should say, back then, one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic for some reason keeps him sober. So, right, right. Yeah. Spread the yeah. word, pay it forward, say what you will, that's it. Yeah. But so, when did the drugs start affecting your life? At what point did you say, I'm um, or, or maybe you hit a rock bottom, something along those lines. But when did you say it's too much? I need to change things. I, this is not something I can handle anymore. Um. Hmm.
0: I mean, I mean that's the crazy thing about the d- disease of addiction is that, like, I. I mean, I've hit quite a few bottoms, you know, like in my life where like I, it's like, okay, this is enough. I can't mm-hmm. tap it out, you know, no more, but like I hit those bottoms and get there. I would hit those bottoms and get there. And then, I mean, it's like little time passes or some long creator time passes and, You know, I I forget how bad it was, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I I can just do one, (laughs) or I can just, you know, I can just go take a little key bump of coke, you know, and I'll sniff it this time instead of shooting it, or I'll take a little key bump of heroin, or I'll smoke some heroin this time instead of injecting it, you know, like whatever the case. Um, but like I. You know, I then that just starts the cycle all over again. You know, it just it gets me back to where I was right when I hit the bottom. However long ago it was, but like I, I the first time of all of my youth history, I accumulated about three and a half years. I was coming up on four years um, of it being in recovery, um, and then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, like everything shut down, like not only like, yeah, like economically and like, like the shopping, all that kind of stuff shut down, movies, uh, everything shut down. And of course the recovery support groups, primarily our colleagues anonymous and narcotics anonymous shut down as well. And there was a little gap in there before, between when everything shut down meeting in person and when the Zoom meetings got started and picked up. Um, and I honestly, like, I didn't even go to any Zoom meetings when the Zoom meetings first started on no. Narcotics Anonymous. Like, it just, I don't know, like, I I really benefited, and I still benefit now from – the face-to-face being in person and being in a room full of other alcoholics or recovering alcoholics or recovering addicts. Um, so I didn't even try it out. Um, and, you know, slowly, you know, within a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so, you know, I started just withdrawing, isolating, you know, going back into myself by myself Um. And, uh, you know, I I was actually living in Asheville, North Carolina at the time when this happened. Um, And it was just like a snowball of effects. Like I had, I was sponsoring three people maybe at the time, I think. Um, One of my sponsees, my favorite sponsee. Um, I know that's bad to say I had a favorite sponsee. <laughs> like, there's probably the AA gods are probably like looking down on me right now. <laughs> and like, there's probably going to be a bolt of lightning like, flying in my room pretty soon. So I that think happens. that's okay. Have Forgive me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Forgive me. But like my favorite AA sponsee, um, he actually moved um, away. And um, the other two sponsees fired me. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, and like. <laughs> Right. I mean, that just that really crushed me because like this was the first time that I would never sponsored anybody. You know, and I was yeah. so excited by the by the opportunity and the experience. Uh, but they fired me after like they both got to like around the fourth step, which is usually when I know myself, I dropped off then. But, like, usually when a lot of people drop off with the program, that's when they get to that fourth step and that self-inventory kind of thing, having to look at yourself. Um, but, you know, they both were there, and they weren't making any progress, and they eventually fired me. So I was like, all right, fuck this. Um, so that happened. so the, the sponsees actually fired me first. Then COVID happened. And I just, I don't know. It was just like, that was like the... Snowball at the top of the hill, but a very small snowball at the top of the hill, and that fucker just started to roll down hill, you know, yeah. and like gain size, gain strength, gain speed, and you know, like I maybe a month or two after COVID hit, um, I returned to smoking crack gang and I tried to manage it. I tried my best to manage it, you know, like, um, but. You know, you can't. Once an attic, no always in an attic. <laughs> there is, yeah, no there is no magic, or crack. right? Right? Not at all. Not yeah. at all. So yeah. Um, but anyhow, so that like that that was uh, the time, and then I managed. Um, I mean, after that three years, you know, I managed. I don't know. I can't remember. I was up to. I was up to maybe somewhere between nine months and a year, and um, and I had a you know I'd had like two, three, one to three months off and spread out sporadically in between that time. Uh, but I was up to about nine months, and uh, I don't really don't remember what like sparked the fire for me to start the burning, you know, of the of foster's forest again. Um but something happened and um I started to use again. And I um I'm I'm a big journaler. I've always kept journals my entire life. Um and one of the things um I mean I've got quite a few journals that I've written over the years, but I um I was journaling uh, you know, I would journal every day. You know, even in active use, I was one thing I was disciplined about was journaling. And um, you know, I've been about a month, really. A month is when I really like like committed myself. I was like, this is the end. You know, you've had enough. Because I really was at that point in time, I had, had enough. You know, like I I had lost enough you know i lost a job um i because i was stealing money um to support my habit um like i had wrecked my car um because i was under the influence while i was driving and like ran off the road and damaged my car pretty bad um I mean, I I was starting to lose stuff, you know, like that's just two little things that I lost. Um, I guess not really literal to lose a job, but it it was the job I didn't like. It was retail. I don't know if I'm just like rationalizing it now, but I didn't really like the job anyways, but it was a job. It paid well and I liked it. I I know, I guess, I don't know. I don't know where like jury's still at on whether I liked it or didn't like it. Um, but anyhow, I lost a job, you know, I lost my car, you know, like, um, I had a very, very nice place, um, an actual house that I was renting, uh, two bedroom, one house. um, huge fenced in backyard, um, cause I had, let's see, I had two or three dogs at the time, I think, I can't remember how many, it was between two and three dogs. Um, And that's one thing I always prided myself on was that no matter how fucked up I got, like high I got, like, you know, like fortunately my parents were paying for my bills and my rent and everything. So I didn't have that to worry about. But like, no matter what, you know, I had going on, I always made sure my dogs ate food every night. I'm like, yep. still proud of that today like I I
1: I took better care of my dogs than I did myself I'm in the same exact boat, except I had cats um mm-hmm. I live alone so it's very it would be very hard for me to have a dog cuz I work such long hours right, like right. Th- 3 days a week I work 11 hours so I wow. dog would, yeah would he would yeah. be take out yeah
0: yeah but, um, but yeah, like i I mean, now they I can't tell, you, I mean, fortunately, they always had dog food, but there were a few times in there where they were eating like hot dogs and bread <laughs> like for their supper, which they love, <laughs> you know, like they're like, okay, this is great, like this yeah. is the dinner we want every night, but I made sure my dogs always ate, you know, um, and I'm proud of that, you know, my dogs never suffered as a result of my addiction, you know, of me suffering. Um, but back to the journaling, I, it was, it was like the month, it was the whole month of November. Um, I, I, you know, I planned it, you know, like I, I, I mean, I even, I took, I wrote in my journal, I took pictures, my phone, you know, like I I had planned, I mean, took pictures of drugs, took pictures of money, even wrote it in the calendar in my journal, like, okay, tomorrow is going to be the last day, you know, or I'd finish at the end of the night or early in the morning or whenever I finished for that session. And okay, you know, this is it, no more. And I don't know, like... The uh, November twenty eighth, excuse me, of um twenty 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 twenty, wait twenty twenty one. I'm losing my dates here. Twenty twenty, yeah, because November. So 2020, November 28th of 2020, um, I, for some reason, and this is something I never do, I don't know what was caused me and made me do it, but I actually went back and, you know, like looked through the pages of my journal um, for that month. And like, I just read, you know, like every day for 28 days, I was planning that, that was the last one. No, there wasn't no, going to no. be anymore after that, and um, you know that I just I gave up that night. I just I, I that for me was, you know, the the that was the first time I had hit an emotional and mental bottom. You know, like i have hit physical bottoms before, because I mean, I've way back. I mean, I've overdosed four times on heroin. I mean, I overdosed actually overdosed once in the hospital uh, because, like, I was in the hospital and um, I I called the hospital that I was in at the time was kind of close to the hood, <laughs> and um, I actually called my dope dealer. And ask him to deliver some heroin to the hospital. No shit. I, um, yeah, of course, you know, it's great for me because, you know, they had IVs already in me. Like, I didn't have to find a vein. I didn't have to do shit. You <laughs> know, I was like, hell yeah. So, I mean, I had the dope dealer come deliver some heroin to me in the hospital, and I just injected it into the IV line and overdosed it in the fucking hospital room. <laughs> so. yeah man it was craziness um so they actually after that they put a security guard outside my door like i was my my room was moved like security guard was there for a few days and then they moved my room down so i was like right like you come out my hospital room and the nurses' station is right there so like there was nobody that could come in or out without somebody seeing them you know yeah um but yeah so that's whole another story in itself. But anyhow. So but like I I I, I had I had physical problems, you know, bottoms before, physical bottoms. Um but like that was the first time I hit like a mental, emotional, like psychological bottom. And um I just decided I was like, you know, I I, I was defeated, you know. I I was like there, I I've been doing this for, you know, 48, 38 years of my life you know or the majority the most of 38 years of my life at least all my adulthood life and I was like there's no hope there's
1: no way out of this you know like I just got to end it now well I have a quote I came up with a quote that says we must all come to the admission of defeat before we can defeat anything ourselves hmm I like that yeah. I like that a lot. That's pretty powerful, man. That's yeah, that's yeah I posted that in some places. I, I was proud of myself like I'm like, yeah, that's not bad, because it's yeah, true, man. We, we it have is. to admit, I I can't do it. I'm. It's beating me. I, I'm. There's whatever's going on. I'm losing the race. I'm losing the battle. How I, I want to describe it. All right, um, right. Right. You know I mean? So yeah. you admit you're defeated, and then it's like, well, now what do I do? You Right. Um, you take step one, step two, and you right. build up. Right. I agree. That's uh, it's
0: a very, very. I like. It's a. That's prophetic, man. I like that. Very nice. Very nice. I, I'm glad you shared that with me. Um, but yeah, like that night, like I just, I mean, I choked up all my crack. Um, I had a lot of pills there. Um, actually, I had some fentanyl there too.
1: And, um, I was you like, you was know, fentanyl? so yeah, you knew, I, you knew it was fentanyl. Oh yeah, I did. Yes. I knew. That's I crazy, did. bro. That's crazy. Uh, I, knew. I knew. Like, <laughs> I knew. like my friend, Johnny, my friend, Johnny's like, he's like, I used to do fentanyl. I'm like, aren't you nervous? He's like, no, as long as you know how to do it, you're fine. But I'm like, dude, it's called an accidental overdose. <laughs> right. it, it means that person thought they knew what they <laughs> they were had doing. to do it. Right. <laughs> They obviously didn't know what they were doing. They're not they're no longer with us. Right, right. Yeah, like I I knew it. I I, I knew what I was doing. Like I, I
0: wholeheartedly planned to take my life that night. Um but back to my dogs. Of course my two dogs were there and I went to uh like in the house that we were living in, I was living at the time, like the there was a little laundry room that it was pretty much the whole backside of one of the side of the house had washer dryer in there and a door to the outside area. So I went back in the laundry room and there was a door like the, between the laundry room and the kitchen. So I opened the door to the laundry room and went back down there uh before I took all these pills and did the fentanyl and I took the entire tub thing full of dog food and just dumped it over on the floor. Oh, so I was like, I was like, I know somebody will find my body here within a week, you know, like, because I'll just be in my So I know Somebody's going to come here and look for me. And then I unlocked the back door um, and, you know, I dumped the dog food out and I have a German shepherd. Her name's Bear. Uh, super sweet dog. Like... Um, and I actually got there from my sponsors, like my one of my sponsors um, in Astro, like her one of her friends, uh, who was also uh, a recovering alcoholic. Uh, unfortunately, had a heart attack and died in his house, and uh, they didn't find his body for like four or five days or something. Um and Bear was unfortunately in the house with him. Uh well her name wasn't Bear when I I renamed her Bear. I can't remember her na- what her name was now. You know, not important. But anyhow, he um, you know, passed away in the house from a heart attack and it was like a four or five days before they found his body and found Bear. And she was pretty, really, you know, traumatized, you know, from that. Um and I I I I'm pissed off at myself now that I'm telling this story to you, because I did not. That thought didn't cross my mind. You know, like when I was going to kill myself that night. I I I mean, I just I knew somebody was going to find her. You know, and I knew my parents were going to take her. But like, I just I I feel really shitty about that now. You know, thinking about that. Um, but I did leave food out there for her. Um, and you know, and I went back in the in my den. Um turned on some music um you know and took a lot of pills um drank some alcohol to wash it all down um and then did a shot of heroin and i made peace with life that night you know i was like you know i have i have lived a good life you know like i have lived a life for some dreams were made up you know i've had every opportunity uh that that anyone could ever want or ask for, you know, and, you know, I'm okay with it. You know, I look back on my life and reflect it. And I was like, you know, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with this, you know, being my last day here, I'm ready for what's next, you know? And, and I still, I mean, that I still, I mean, I, I mean, the the true thing about it is, is that nobody knows what's next after we physically die here. You know, nobody does. You know, there's a lot of these people that have theories and philosophies, even religions about it, and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what's next. Like, I I have different beliefs about you know what happens after you physically die here, um, but I I am a hundred percent convinced that this isn't it. Like, this is not all. Like, I mean, this isn't it, you know? And and I, I mean, even then, and even still now, like, if for some reason I were to die tonight or, hell, die after we finish this podcast, like, I'd be okay with it, but I'd be so excited about what's next because nobody knows. I think that's so cool. Like, I think that is one of the coolest things about life, you know, knowing that you're going to die, you know, like I, I, I don't know. I, at many, many parts of time and many stages in my life, you know, I have, I mean, I've been trying to accelerate myself getting to that point, you know, by all the wild stuff I've done, you know, crazy places I've been, you know, and guns I've had pulled on me and getting punched and drug around and shit like that. But you know, I still, I still am excited, you know? Like, I don't fear death at all. Like, I, I've never really feared death. I fear, I mean, I, I definitely have fears and feared things, but death is definitely not one of them. Like, I, I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, not the point where I'm going to go, like, try to get myself to that point or get myself <laughs> to the crossing it, but, like,
1: I, I'm excited about that, you know? That's a like completely not that's different on. perspective than I've ever heard. You know what I mean? It's completely so, so much different. It's interesting. You, most people don't look forward to dying. They're not mm-hmm. excited about it. So I think your perspective is really interesting. Yeah, okay. We don't know what's next, so... Wait, wait. Why not I, look at it with some excitement, you yeah, know? It could, it could be something exciting. You're right.
0: I, exactly. I feel yeah, you, I feel yeah. yeah. for sure. Like, I, I just, I, I, you know, I... I welcome it. Like when it's my time, it's my time, you know, like who knows what's that, when that's going to be. I am actively living my best life and living, you know, the healthiest, happiest, safest, and most connected life that I can live, which is something I can't say I've done forever. Um, but like, I'm ready. Like when it comes, I'm ready for it, you know, like, I'm not gonna be able to come back and tell you what happened or what the next step or next level or next dimensions like, but whatever it is, I'm re- Definitely ready for it. Like definitely ready
1: for it. Like, so for sure. Oh. So when did you actually? What was it when you like when you got clean? <laughs> what was it when I got
0: clean? Well, I mean, like it's interesting because like. I have a mentor. Um one of like the most uh significant and impactful people in my life. Um his name's Delvin and he is also a person in a long-term recovery um uh, from substance use disorder. Um and it's just funny how it's a small world because um when I lived in Chapel Hill, um the dealer that I used to get my cocaine and my crack from is actually his cousin, (laughs) like a small fucking world, man. And anyhow, I met Delvin back in 2015 um, at a recovery house um, called Oak tree recovery house in Asheville, North Carolina. And he was the program manager there at the time. Uh, We, and he started working with me there. um, And then uh, later on, after he left Oaktree, he opened his own uh, recovery services business called Connections LLC. And he would provide, you know, individual sessions with the clients, Um, do some random substance testing, drug testing and stuff. Um, You know, and just an, a very, very, like, good, solid, consistent, you know, support person um of people you know suffering with the disease of addiction um anyhow but long story back to my point his cousin was my dope dealer when i was in chapel hill like and i never it's i it's amazing what we joke about we're actually really good friends Does now he know
1: that his cousin's a dope dealer
0: Oh yeah, he knows You know he, knows. Oh, he, he knows. knows okay, oh yeah, he knows he knows he knows uh his cousin i last I heard his cousin has been like incarcerated some drugs stuff, but he was like the man of the whole area there, you know, he was running all kinds of drugs, you name it, you could get it from him, um, but anyhow, you delvin was actually like he actually sold drugs from his cousin, some like um. Back in the day, and when he was actively using and stuff like that, but we had we had the same drug of choice, um, or primary use substance. Uh, I guess it's the the professional way to say it now. But anyhow, um, but it's just funny because like we we were there during the same time. Like I was up in Chapel Hill during the time going buying uh, drugs from his cousin when he was there, and we just never crossed paths. Yeah. And it still just blows both of our minds when we, like, reflect on that time now that we never actually ran into each other. Um, but anyhow, like, he's my mentor. Like, he, like, I always tell him I want to be like him when I grow when I grow up. Um, just an amazing person. Like, amazing, like, spirit, you know, and just amazing individual and just amazing energy. Great person. Um, and he's helped so many people. So many people, you know, and, you know, across the whole, and, you know, especially in the Southeast, but a lot in Nashville, you know, with him, his message and everything, and just the person he is, his presence. But anyhow, I don't remember how I got started on Delvin, but yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. That's okay. Where I was going with that,
1: but yeah, his, my... My dope dealer
0: was his cousin that's I guess where I started with that but he like I don't know he um delvin is like he he's still a part of my life now together in like today um to this day and um he i mean he's like the model of what a person in recovery should be, you know yeah but yeah I mean he's human, obviously he's human like we all are you know so he has his good days and his bad days, you know. He has his his strengths and his weaknesses, but he's always a he is consistently a person that is able to take an honest look in the mirror and look at himself and be aware of who he is, what he's feeling, what he's thinking and what he needs help with, and the impact that he has on other people's lives, and that's just amazing to me. Like that—that that in my mind, if I could think of a model of a perfect person, you know, like that's what they'd be: someone who's conscious, you know, personally conscious and socially conscious, and someone who is connected, uh, and someone who is, you know, understanding. And someone who wants to give back, and wants to inspire, promote, and you know motivate and encourage the best in others. Like that's that's the kind of man I want to be when I grow up. You know, like I'm trying to I'm working hard to get there, and I'm making steps to getting there. But like that's the person I want to be when I grow up. You know, a person who's able to do all those things, and he does he does it masterfully, you know, and he's humble. Like, I mean, he, he's a, he's a truly
1: good man, you know, so, yeah. So, how do you stay sober nowadays?
0: Um, I stay sober with thought, um, awareness,
1: um, connection um
0: and i mean a big part of me saying you know clean sober and in recovery is my daily excuse me routine um And my daily commitment to staying the fuck out of Foster's head, you know, to stay present, to keep Foster present in at least someone else's life. And and that, and that presence shifts a lot. Like, I'm very flexible with my presence, as in where I'm present and who I'm present for and what's going on in that moment. You know, like, I'm very flexible. I'm a very flexible person now. Like I'm not like, I don't I don't I'm not chained to anything, you know. Like I'm not, I'm not even chained to my routine. Don't get me wrong. Like when my routine gets screwed up, like I do feel a little unrest. Sometimes I get a little pissy, you know. But like, I mean, I'm even I'm not changed chained to that either. Um, so my ability to stay flexible and stay malleable. This is very, very important for me as well. Um, not just with what I do or where I do it, but in my mind as much as well. Like I'm open, you know, I'm open to learning new things. I'm open to new experiences. I'm open to new challenges, you know, like I I, I keep myself open. You know, and I think uh, another big part of how I stay in recovery today is, um, you know, I stay connected. Yeah, I am connected now. That's great. That's a good word. That's a good word to use. Connected. Yeah, for sure. Connected. Um, And I'm present. I think uh, all of the gifts of recovery, like I am able to be present now in life. You know, present with myself, you know, present with my family, you know, present with my partner, you know, present with my dogs, like just present, you know. And for such a long time, like especially, you know, even in the early and light active use, but especially in the heavy and darker, deeper active use, like I I was not present at all. Like the only thing was on my mind: where am I gonna get that next one? Where am I gonna get it? How am I gonna do it without anybody else finding out what I'm doing? You know, where am I gonna get the money for it? You know, like where am I gonna go to do it? Whatever the thought comes with doing it, like that was was all that my mind was consumed by that, and I have that's gone today. You know that that thought that cons like total like control and consumption of my thoughts, you know, my feelings and my behaviors and actions is gone I'm free from that now. So like I'm able to be there in the moment, you know, like be where I need to be and just be okay with being there. Like, you know, before we got onto this, you know, I was sharing with you about having to put um, one of my dogs to sleep today, you know, (laughs) And that's super tough, you know. Especially like, I mean, I've had this puppy. I had her since she was about eight weeks old, you know, and she's thirteen uh, when I had to put her to sleep this morning. But like, she's been with my parents, you know, for the last last few years. Um, and I don't know. My it's so funny. My my mom uh, has a little magnet that goes on her car that says, "We love our granddog." Like because like dogs in our family are like people, <laughs> they're like they kind part of are. Me. I
1: mean, people don't realize you you build that bond that is oh, yeah. strongest family. It really oh, is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I anyway, I lost back... two cats. You know, recently. Well, not too recently. A little over a year ago, I lost two cats. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for your loss. That's tough. It's tough. It is.
0: Yeah. It's really tough. It's really tough. Um, but like I was here to be able to be here with my mom today, you know, and my That's dad, good. and and my yeah. sister, you know, like. The whole family was here um, and I got to be present and a part of, it, you know, and that's that's one of the biggest gifts of being a person in recovery, you know, is that you actually get to be where your two feet are and your head's there with your two feet mm-hmm. and off in la la land or around the corner or in the back closet or under the bed or wherever the fuck it may be, you know, like you're there. And I think that's that's really cool. It's really a a great, great experience to be able to do that today. So, you know, I don't know, I just, and I said it earlier, you know, like I feel complete now. Like I feel happy and complete, you know, and I feel at peace. I haven't felt that, you know, a lot of my life. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of my use, you know, it, it served the purpose to quiet all the voices in my head, you know, and to quiet and numb all of the, you know, painful and confusing, you know, feelings that I felt, you know, in my heart and stuff, you know, and I don't have to do that anymore. You know, I have found a way to cope with life. You know, I've found no way as the Charles Step program would say, live life on life's terms. And that's amazing. You know, like it's 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 a blessing, you know. And I've said it before to people, and they're like, How do you say that? But I really do believe that people that suffer with the disease of addiction are super, super special people. And I believe I don't believe, and my mom got this me on this idea, but my mom doesn't believe anything in life happens without a reason, without a purpose. And I do believe that. And I believe that we may not always be aware of the purpose, but I do believe that there is something out there that makes and sets the stage for things to happen. Yeah, we have free will and we get to choose like, how we're gonna say our lines, you know, or what lines are gonna say in the play of life, but I do believe that the state is already set in some ways, um but like my i'm what I'm trying to get to is saying it as is that I do believe that people that suffer from the disease of addiction are special people, and they're people that have this disease. Because they're meant to achieve a higher purpose in understanding and process of life. Because you don't recover from the disease of substance use disorder without other people. Like recovery is not an island. Recovery doesn't happen on an island. You know, just like addiction doesn't happen on the island. Like, you know, it's it's a community thing, you know, and like we're called, I believe, that everyone that is in recovery is called to a purpose of developing healthy relationships with themselves with others, and with the whole world. Like, we're called here to do something, regardless of what your religious or spiritual beliefs are. Like, you know, we're here for a reason. Like, we're here for a reason. We've had these experiences for a reason. Like, we have engaged in this journey of recovery for a reason. And I don't know all the reasons, why we're in the on the recovery journey. But I do know that one of the reasons we're on this recovery journey is to have stronger, tighter, more like really, really like influential and like spiritual connections with other people in life. You know? What we what we do together being people in recovery, that gives us the 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 knowledge and the understanding that we can also create the same bond and relationship that we have being in recovery with other people. And I think, I mean, we got a whole bunch of world problems, political problems, you know, all kinds of crazy shit going on right now. But I do firmly, wholeheartedly believe that. The solution to some of these problems is going to be us having an ability, creating, developing, and maintaining, reinforcing the inability to be connected with each other. On some level, like different levels of connection can exist out there, but like, I do believe that that it's like, that's how we're going to solve some problems in this world, you know, and we may be the ones to start it. We may be the ones to pioneer and like champion, you know, like the path to recovery for the entire world with a whole bunch of issues that need to be need
1: some recovery in them, you know? We can be the leaders. Yeah, you, you never know. I mean, think Dr. Bob and Bill W, you think they thought when they were starting AA it would be what it is today? Oh no. Uh uh-uh. uh uh no no no.
0: I don't I don't I, I don't think they could have imagined it now. Because yeah. I think they were I think they were more focused on like the immediate problem right there. You know, yeah. like they were focused on the immediate like connection and like process of one addict or alcoholic helping another. I don't yeah. think they ever would have imagined that it would have exploded to the level that it's on now, but they did have the primary, I think, the foundation and most important thing. there, idea there is connecting, connection, and that's and that's kind of what I was alluded to, and you know, with my thought statement just there. I think the connections, our ability to have these connections, is the, going to be the most important pathway for not only just individuals in recovery, but for the whole world.
1: Yeah. Yep, so again, towards the end, here this has been a great interview. First of all, I want to thank you for it, and second, do you have any advice for people watching and listening? Anything they could take home with them after hearing this podcast? Um,
0: I think if you're listening to this podcast, um. And you're in recovery now you know what works for you on a daily basis um to stay committed you know continue to do the work on a daily basis that has gotten you to the person and the place that you are now in your life um Never stop working, you know, keep moving forward um, and keep sharing, you know, keep sharing your story, um, sharing your thoughts, you know, and sharing your experience with others, um, both in people in recovery and people outside of recovery. Um, Keep being, continue to be models for others who have not yet started or are behind you on this recovery path and journey. Um, If you're someone new um, and you're just getting started or you haven't started yet or you're just thinking about it, um, know that you can do it. Know that there's hope. Um, Know that tomorrow can be and will be the first day of the rest of your life. And you get to choose what that day is going to look like. You know, you are the author of your own destiny. Um, but know that if you are struggling, you know, there is help out there. You know, like... Be humble, be willing to risk a little vulnerability and be able to reach out your hand and ask for someone else to grab it. Because there's, I guarantee you, I promise you, there's somebody else out there to grab your hand and to guide you. If they need to pull you sometimes, you know, along the path to a much better, you know, healthy, healthier, happier, safer and much more connected life um and i wish you hope you know like i i wish you hope like if i can do it you can do it too um and for anybody out there who who doesn't know anything about the disease or about addiction or anything um be willing to open
1: to learning you know like I say i tell people read 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 there's mm-hmm. so much literature out there there is even so I mean, on our website i've written like 40 articles because i i'm one of those people that i figured other people might like the literature if you choose different right. topics and write about it you right you know kind of paying it forward All right yeah of course of course i agree I agree. Yeah, So I'm I'm all about content, putting it out there. I'm gonna continue nice. writing till the day I die. Cool.
0: That's great. Yeah. Well, keep up the good work, man.
1: Keep oh, it thanks. up Thanks. I
0: appreciate it. Kicking ass, taking names, I need to get you a t shirt. So
1: <laughs> you see it?
0: Oh word. Are right, you pulling your camera Oh yeah. Oh, that is awesome. I like yeah, that. I got
1: the dash in the middle because we're a dash it. I don't want to look like addict or uh alcoholics anonymous. Bur- so. Where oh, that's nice. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah, thanks, great, That's beautiful. I like that a lot. Super great, man. Very yeah, cool. Pretty cool. Very cool. So, did you have anything you want to add before we go? <laughs> Try
0: <trying to> things. <laughs> Take a moment
1: to think about it. Think about
0: it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think so. I feel like I um i feel like i've been like talking for hours here um i hope this is helpful like i hope this is, no, this, is this is service work. this
1: is people listen to this and they they get okay. you know they get it they they get what they get out of when they go to a meeting right right okay okay cool um i don't know
0: man i just i think i don't know i guess i don't know i i think the. I don't know. I I think the most important thing for all of us in life to do is to be conscious of the people that we are, you know, like have a, a knowledge and an understanding and acceptance of ourselves. Um, And like I shared earlier in the podcast, my daily you know, goal to myself and commitment to myself every morning is to be a better foster today than the foster you were yesterday. So I think if I could sum it all up with anybody, everybody else, you know, like look at yourselves, people, like take an honest look and assessment inventory of yourselves and every day try to be a better person be a ed- better individual, be a better mother, be a better father, be a better brother, be a brother, sister, be a better grandfather or grandfather, cousin, aunt, the list goes on. But be a better person today than you were yesterday. Commit yourselves to ongoing and continued learning and acceptance, and excitement in life, and new experiences. So yeah, sum it up there.
1: That summed it up, Dan. That summed it up real nice. I appreciate you coming on the uh, podcast today.
0: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity, man. It's been great. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's been a pleasure. So do me a favor and sit tight. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can also check us out on Tumblr, Twitter, Reddit, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Also check out our website at www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you'll find plenty of free resources. And as I mentioned before, we have a ton of articles there for free. We also have uh, a book coming out. That's what I was going to mention. that We have a book coming out in the next two months or so. I'm kind of taking my time, making sure I edit it perfectly. But it will be available on Barnes and Nobles and Amazon, all the different platforms. I'll get you more information from my publisher about that. And that's all I have for today. So I hope you enjoyed what you heard and saw. Until next time.